Hello, 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 hello. Brilliant. No. So it's probably no interference. No interference whatsoever. Cool. Welcome to Tanked Up Podcast, all about beer and video games. I'm Ben Nova, here with Alokoji. Hey. Hey. How are you, man? I'm pretty good. Been a, been a bit of a travel-y social week for me, which is nice. Visited with a friend who is moving from Oxford to St. Andrews, who dropped by for a couple of days, and then I went off to a family, distant family wedding in... Uh, London and my folks were up from Canada, so I got to see them for a couple of days, which was great. Nice. Yeah, probably would still be in London if I wasn't already going to a different wedding in Canada at the end of the month, where I'll see my folks. So that's kind of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. How about you? Nice how, man. Always how good was to... the weekend. Uh, it was good, man. It was good. Um, did a lot of did a lot of house jobs. I suppose put up some shelves, ah, sorted yeah. out Classic. crap, sorted out things. A bit of a, a, a like an in-between weekend. We were away the weekend like previously. Yeah, yeah, we were away the weekend previously, and we we're away next weekend. So it was kind of right. What do we need to just get cleared and done and out of the way? So one of those kinds of weekends. But we we went out on Sunday evening. Uh, visited the Urban Standard over on Gloucester Road. Ah, had a few, uh, yeah. Had a few excellent beers and one not so good beer. <laughs> um, the, the the one, well, I was going to have um, a pale ale from Wild Brewing, hmm. uh, but they'd run out, so it was off. And I'd already had the Arbor Double Standard, which was a nice pale. Um, and then the woman said, "Oh, why not try? You know, we've got we've got a couple of bottles of pale in the." Um, in the fridge, I'm like great, yeah, just just pick one, whatever. I can't decide. Um, and she picked one called Moosehead, which I'd never heard of. Moosehead isn't that and Canadian beer. I I, I guess so. Mm. There was a picture of a moose. It it said it was a pale ale. That was that was about as far as the description went. Yep. Why oh yeah. why did they have Moosehead? No idea. Not great though. No. <laughs> so we. We, we, we skipped out and went over to the Gallimaffery and had a couple of, um, you know, one from New Bristol and one from Good Chemistry as well, which was good. So my weekend was filled with good beer and one not so good one. Um, my, um, my, at the wedding, at the reception, mm. um, they, uh, it was a pay bar where the beers were, Carling Black Label, Foster's, something else that was equally bad, and Cobra, the Indian beer Cobra. Okay, yeah. I ended up having two Cobras just because I felt like a beer, and then I was like, I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then, but um, with Fenner, we went to Chance and Counters, um, which was mm. the, the board game cafe at the bottom of the Christmas Steps. 
Yeah, yeah. For uh, on Friday evening, and it was great. Nice. Um, so yeah, had a couple beers, a couple good chemistries. Um, can't remember off the top of my head wh- which ones they were. Natural Selection and another one, uh, and it was great. Can't can't complain there. Um, definitely, uh, it was a great surprise to find out that they um, do craft beers as well as board games. I mean, I'm not surprised, but having never been there, it was it was nice. Um, nice was that, uh, on draft. Yeah, on tap. Yeah, sorry. Nice. They had, also, nice. I know. Uh, I think it was a wiper intrude and something else on special on bottles, but we just stuck to the draft. Um, yeah, cool. But beer wise, this week we are doing a bit of a special. We are. We are going gluten free. That's right. For a week. For those of you who are celiac, in which case you basically would never listen to a beer podcast unless you knew about this specific episode happening now. Or for those of you who get a little bloated from gluten and uh, would like to try an alternative because you love beer. Um, exactly. It'd be, it'd be, I'm really interested to see what the difference is going to be with these. Um, yeah, it's a lot of uh, barley, at least in the, the one that we're first uh, tasting. Barley is. malts, oat flakes, hops, and ale yeasts. Uh, this one, this has been sat on my shelf for about three months hmm. um, because it came in the Beer 52 McKellar box. That's right. And it is the I Wish IPA, gluten-free. Uh, we thought we'd start with this because we both had this. We both put it aside knowing that we wanted to chat uh, a gluten-free week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, McKellar beers are fantastic. But we'll see if this lives up to you know the the... The good standards that uh, McCullough have. It smells nice. Yeah, it's um, a little citrusy. No, it is got a nice, uh, nice head to it as well, which is stuck around. Yeah, mine too. Mm. I think that's what's. Was it that? Was it Lucy or was it yourself who found that um, like beer wanker video? The guy that's chatting about beer. And he's got some kind of vibrating stick oh, that he to... uses to um to, to make a load of foam and starts to talk right. about how the nose comes from the uh from the foam. Yeah, the, the foam gives you a stronger nose. I believe Lucy yeah. shared that with us. Uh I had seen it before as well, but um Nice. So it's got a nice nose. Yep. It's got a nice taste. Yeah. It's um it's not it's not a big flavour. It's got quite a good bitterness to it. Very refreshing, I think. Yeah, I think I do taste... I mean, it does give that barley um, malt that's in it. I, I feel like it it, it gives the, the, the finish... The bitterness of the finish kind of has that um, almost similar taste that you get off of like a, a stout, like a, like a, like a yeah. oatmeal yeah. stout or something. Like just that, that hint of uh, of the oats there. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Which is really it's, interesting with like the strong hoppy bitterness um, of an IPA. It is. I think it's, you know, if you have something like a wheat beer, you always get that slight sweetness mm, to it. Yeah. And this is kind of almost devoid of sweetness. Yeah, very it much is, so. It, it is just a very harsh would be the wrong word, but it's it's edging towards... Um, it's a kind of uh, a very strong bitterness. Yeah, it's a stalwart. The wart was yes. 
Yes, it is. It is. Um, but I am super interested that we that like it does sort of taste more barley-ish. I didn't know if that would come out. Mm, definitely does. Definitely, it'd be interesting to know what hops they've actually got in this as well, because mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really feel like they're pushing through much at all. Doesn't tell me. Just says hops. Yeah, but it does tell us that it's lab tested and there are less than twenty parts per million of gluten. Ooh, you know what it doesn't give me? Oh, it does give me. It's five point five for those keeping score. Um, so nice, nice sort of wheat-free light alcohol beer. Just having a look at what the percentage of the other one I've got is. That's a little bit more. Okay, cool. You're gonna. You're, you're, Glance towards your other bottle, waiting yeah, to see. It's a four and a half, so it's it's less. Oh, oh, mine's a mine's a, five, a six and a half, so oh, slightly more. You stole my percent. Going in opposite directions. Uh, nice. Let's let's talk about some games. What have you been playing? What have you been doing? What would you like to talk about? Um, let's. Uh, firstly, let's talk about. That game that I keep meaning to restart and play that you and Lucy both loved. Uh, oh, just, Robot Dinosaurs. Yeah, I thought we would talk, just just get this uh, bit of news out, which is that Robot Dinosaurs got a new patch today. Uh, the campaign has a new difficulty mode um, called Story Mode, mm-hmm. and it's basically super easy versus just easy um, for people that mainly want to experience the story um, of Horizon Zero Dawn. And I thought it was interesting just because we sort of finished our talk about Hellblade last week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. About how there was apparently a difficulty ramp at the end and how um, uh, Lucy, for example, said that she would probably just stop a game if it got stupid at the end because it's just not worth mm. um, that. And I thought this was sort of a nice move in the other direction. The game's been out for a while, and it's a very narrative-focused game. And so it's if you did have problems because you know it's just not your type of game but you're interested in the in in the narrative um this allows you to just sort of get through it yeah it's interesting um i was talking to um dave earlier uh whilst we were recording the um out of the crossfire podcast a little bit of cross promotion for you there uh and he was saying sorry Uh, yeah nice very good uh he was saying that he um toned Uncharted down to easy just to blast through it and experience the narrative. Oh, that makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah, he'd gone back to the remastered, um, the Nathan Drake collection, went back to the first game, which is doesn't hold up as well as the other ones in terms of its gameplay. You know, its, it's gunplay and its cover mechanics and hitboxes and things maybe aren't quite as refined as the second and third game. Right. Uh, so he just... Just ramp the difficulty down and blast it through it just to get that story, just to understand the characters so he can essentially move on and play you know, one of the better Uncharted games and and, uh, and enjoy uh, enjoy sort of a whole experience a little bit more than he was doing so um, playing. I, I assume he was just playing in normal. That's, uh, um, that's a really smart thing that I fail utterly at because I, I have this completionist problem of like, oh, I want to play the fifth entry in the series of this series, and I have access to the first four, but never got around to doing them all. 
so I should really do them all. Um, and then I lose all steam and just feel weirdly guilty and then also don't get to play the game I want to play. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a system I recommend to anyone, but it definitely is a trap I constantly find myself in. Yeah, um, yeah. And I honestly had never thought of just like, like, oh, I, I don't remember all the beats of Assassin's Creed 1. I want to replay 2, but I kind of want to like hit 1 again. Oh, why don't I just scream through it on easy? I mean, I'm usually not, I'm luckily not a completionist with like side quests and points. Flags and yeah, other Assassin's Creed had feathers, yeah, yeah. Because boy, does Ubisoft, would an Ubisoft completionist really just have to cry by the time they got to whatever the latest, the new, if you wanted to start from scratch to the new one, you would still be playing like three when by the time the new one comes out. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. Um, uh, one of the interesting things about Hellblade was in the options, you can change the difficulty of the game. Um, that, that pertains to combat only, I think. Uh, because the, the puzzles remain as obscure and as difficult as, right. as they're going to, uh, irrelevant of what difficulty setting you've got it on. But the interesting thing, and the, the setting that I had it on, was auto, and the game, adapts. as I understand it, adapts and balances... And I definitely noticed that uh, right towards the end of the game, I died on an encounter, and um, and I could I could I could tell that I was very close to finishing the encounter because I was just overrun by about six enemies. Hmm. Um, you know, having fought two, and then then I think maybe three, and then five, and then it, they, they hit me with six. Um, or a couple had turned up, you know, four more had turned up when I got down to the last one on the wave of five, or something like that, you know. Um, and I died on this encounter. I came back, and I definitely fought less. It wasn't the same structure uh, mm. as the as I just played um, when I when I that my character had um, had been killed. So I think that auto mode had balanced it and and essentially just removed maybe one or two enemies. Um, from the sort of the, the semi kind of wave um, encounter that uh, that I was in, which I thought was really interesting. And is this maybe one of those reasons why people aren't getting this save state deletion? Um, right. You know, I can't remember exactly what the article said um, from our conversation last week. Whether they'd ramped it up to hard and then had tried to test it, or you know. Maybe is the game a little more forgiving than you know first presented, I suppose. So if you do have it on auto and you're still just just you know going into an encounter and just allowing the first enemy to crush you, is it just if on auto just giving you the opportunity to get into the encounter a little bit more right. and to actually do something? Uh, and you know when was it during the game that? Uh, they tested this. Is it in the first encounter? Is it in the last encounter? You know, interesting to know. Kind of, is it more forgiving at the start of the game as well to allow you to adapt to the combat style and, and what's going on, and is maybe a little more difficult at the end. So, had I have died a second time on this slightly um, hard down combat, would they have taken another couple of enemies out? Right. Would they have then maybe made my attacks do a little bit more damage so I only have to hit them three times rather than four or five? You know, knowing sort of what the, the system is and what the mechanics are behind that would be really interesting. 
Um, and again, interesting to know if the save state deletion does exist uh, and is a real thing or was essentially what everyone says it is and was a kind of a bluff to get you in the mindset right. to, to to fuck with you just that little bit more. So, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it'd be nice to know. I, I don't know whether Ninja Theory would ever come out and definitively say, uh, you know, yes, this is in there, but to actually uh, activate it and have your save deleted, you've really got to fuck up a lot. Or, no, we did it for, for shits and giggles. Yeah, I mean, the guy who tried it 50 times in a row for such a short game, Seems yeah. likely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, at that point, what's the point of having that if it's not? Um, if it's that, if it's if you have to die that many times in the game that isn't designed that difficult, then it seems like a really weird punishment for the really shitty game players. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, um, yeah. I, I just, I'm just really intrigued to know sort of what the yeah, I mean that's the thing. Going on. And and for that, they're they're definitely still sort of being in the news cycle, so to speak, by not really, um, really giving uh, information on that. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, uh, so with Horizon, I know you haven't. You've started it. You played it a couple of times, but you haven't finished it. Yeah, and I've, I played it like basically through the prologue-ish chapter, um, mm. and then uh, and then I went away for Easter, and then I've just f- keep forgetting it. It's on the radar, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think if we had kept up our like um, Battlefield One or ba- nights, then I it would remember that it's there because it'd be using the PS4 more, for example. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, and so it was actually just noticed it today when I um watched the first episode of the defenders uh, on netflix through the ps4 mm. it was the closest controller <laughs> um and uh and i was like oh that disc is in still mm. oh, i should play that game yeah so, yeah uh, it's definitely moving higher up um would you so if you're you know you suddenly think to yourself okay i am gonna try horizon would this story mode make you um kind of get to it quicker do you think you would use the story mode no not me personally i mean i think uh, one of the reasons why i want to play it is you guys really gushed about the gameplay as well as Mm. the story and and i'm not i don't have the pressure of feeling like i need to get it done asap yeah yeah um not for this game anyway some games sometimes i do feel like oh i kind of just want to play the game but i get it done but not in a like from basically what I, from what I've experienced, the gameplay is, is very much a good thing on this game, so I wouldn't really want to cut that short. Mm-hmm. Um, there are games I play where you know it's just gripping enough, but I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm super terrible at remembering. You can change the difficulty. Mm. Yeah, except I, when it's, it's, it's like something I never easy, do. and I'm looking for a challenge, and then I crank one up, and then I forget, and then it's like, man, this game's tough. Oh, it's just made it tough. I'm an idiot. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's almost um, 
The Last of Us is the only game that I have gone back to and, you know, almost straight afterwards, very specifically gone, I want to play that again. I'm going to play it on the hardest difficulty possible. Mm. Um, and I know The Last of Us released a patch, I don't know, however long after the game had released, um, bringing in an even harder difficulty um, uh, as the uh, as Horizon also did uh, a few months ago. They brought in another difficulty as well, plus um, New Game Plus as well. Right. So you could play, um, I could essentially play Horizon as I'm playing uh, the Witcher 3 again on New Game Plus on the hardest difficulty yeah. setting. Um, but you retain so, some of your improvements, no? Isn't that how that works? Yes, yeah, yeah. You, I, I think, I think a lot of your gear is gone, but you retain um, upgrades. Oh, I don't remember. I can't remember exactly how it works. Mm. No worries. Who knows? Who knows? But it's definitely a, a cool thing that games are, you know, not being iterated on, but are being supported and being uh, made more accessible for people, or uh, the other way being. Uh, made harder and a greater challenge for people who have already sort of played it maybe once, maybe twice, and you know want to experience it again and, and really test themselves. So definitely uh, applaud Gorilla for you know keeping up support. Uh, I know the DLC is Novemberish sort of time. Yeah, uh, I so. So it's cool to see them still doing stuff before that releases. Rather than just going, hey, you've got DLC coming in November. We'll, we'll just we're not going to do anything until then. Yeah, I mean, I think that's again, especially because it's it's not it's not a direct line item for business. Mm. I mean, mm. it, it is it's one of those soft things of creating and keeping a rapport with your customers for for the future and and for the DLC, etc. Which I know can be difficult to justify those soft things um in in, in business and so uh, i am super happy when de when developers consistently realize that's the appropriate thing to do yes yeah, yeah. nice nice um yeah i'm gonna want horizon back just before the dlc comes out <laughs> <laughs> or just after perhaps yeah so maybe you should get going yeah, I should, shouldn't I? <laughs> having having said that, I don't only have like uh, ten days before I leave again for a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But what can you do? That's plenty of time. I won't yeah. take that long. I accept I have to, you know, also to hit a work deadline. That's important. <laughs> Actually, live life rather just play Horizon. Yeah, completely. Um. It's it's one of those games that Horizon I was you know because of Evelyn I have the the great luck of having long periods of my evening where I can play you know several hour chunks yeah um, where I can just I can play for three or four hours and experience some of the game um, and I I you know did that a lot with Horizon I. I that was the kind of game I sort of played almost every night until we had we got together to play Battlefield. And I swapped the discs over, had a night at Battlefield. Uh, and then the next night I'd kick back into Horizon. Um, mm -hmm. And it was kind of like one 
one game that I was mainly focusing on when it um, when it released. Uh, whereas with Hellblade, because of the intensity of the sort of the psychosis elements and that real feeling of claustrophobia from the the mechanics and the tightening of the camera uh, over the shoulder and all of that, I that was not a game that I played, say, over two days. Uh, a lot of people saying that it was only six or eight hours long. Right. I, yeah. I feel I feel like it was longer. Um, I didn't die that many times. I didn't I didn't fuck around in the environments too much. You know, I didn't spend an excessive amount of time in the game. But because I was playing it in one one and a half hour a push, maybe two hour chunks. I think the end of the game, I pushed through past um, past the two hour mark just to finish it off. Um, but I, I feel like that game was longer, but I just couldn't couldn't play it for more than sort of an hour and a half because it was just it was just so intense. Um, I know that Lauren uh, Aiken has written a very yeah. good piece on um, on psychosis and the game itself um, and her feeling uh, towards it. Um, I can never remember her website to give her a shout out. I think it's Game Nora. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, dot something you'll find it just search that on google's it'll come up uh, but yeah i thought she'd written a very good piece on on how the the psychosis elements actually felt um and and, and made her feel uh, so you should definitely go and give that a read if you're interested in what i've spoken about yeah it's um, uh, gamenora.wordpress.com nice nice and it's it, it just just makes me you know kind of think well I'm lucky to have that time to play, um, and, and Horizon just kept me gripped, I suppose. But whilst Hellblade kept me gripped, it, it also just worked you just, over. It did, yeah, yeah. I just the wonder of different experiences that you can get from absolutely absurdly made games. Yeah, excellent. Um, with that, why don't we transition to what you've been playing? Yes, yes. Um, well, uh, I finished Hellblade. I I've been playing um, some Just Cause 3 yeah. as well, um, which I kind of was playing against Hellblade. It was a nice game to play sort of side by side, so once the intensity of Hellblade had, um, had got a bit too much, it was nice to jump into something like Just Cause and just have that sort of explosive sandbox fuck around i guess yeah um, and the, that's a particularly good open world franchise for kind of just fucking around and not really caring so much about doing the game yeah yeah completely um and it, it's one of those that you have um various areas on the map which you can liberate and once you've liberated them it will show you on the map where all of the collectibles are. Yeah. Um, obviously, talking earlier about the absurdity of Ubisoft games and collectibles, uh, I thought that, that was quite a nice point to allow you to to do the collectibles if you want without really stressing about it. Um, yeah, versus the uh, the standard Ubisoft. First, you go to the tower. Then it tells you all the things in the area you need to do, include including the like plot. Yeah, bits. yeah, 
mm-hmm. such that you on your trip through the plot you're being told about all of the things in the same step as this is the thing you have to do in this area yeah versus you've done this thing in the area if you care to stay yes there's a nice nuanced difference which i really appreciate yeah very much uh, and, and again it just goes to help that that feeling that you you can be relaxed whilst playing this game that you don't need to kind of rush through it that you can amble about you know go and go and fight some enemies drive a sports car around the island as fast as possible and then just saunter over to uh, to a collectible pick it up if you're near um you know if you're going going somewhere in a helicopter or a jet or something try and make some kind of emergency landing <laughs> pretty close to where the collectible is to go and get it uh and it's it's really enjoyable um i'd only very briefly played um just cause 2 i think i've mentioned on a previous episode probably years ago now months at least um how i didn't get on with um playing just cause 2 because i was uh, playing it on pc with mouse and keyboard and just couldn't get on with the oh, control scheme yeah with the um with the tether and 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 everything like that so definitely playing it on playstation with a, with the controller has helped and if i ever get time which i probably won't hmm. i might go back to just cause 2 with the with the ps4 uh, control pad i'll get into the into the pc and play yeah i think um i like the density of shit to do on the map in mm. Just Cause 2 way more like I think Just Cause 3 suffers from giant big map um, for the sake of giant big map's sake and then because of it, it it does seem like it's very hollow in a lot of it yeah there's a lot of open space um, but like the dual sided tether and the squirrel suit and the general physics of just cause 3 are so much more fun than just cause 2 it's like mm. can you just remaster 2 with <laughs> this engine and get the best of the both worlds literally yeah yeah uh, because uh i mean have you played around much with like just attaching a dude to uh, a tether to a dude and then waiting for a truck to go by and like tethering it at and watching it yoinked and whatnot and uh, e- even random people just just because you can Yes, yes, I have. Um, uh, I I tethered a guy to a um, gas canister oh. just after I'd shot it, uh, and he absolutely flew. The <laughs> gas canister, you know, it almost sort of blasts off, kind of rocket style, and it, it flies into the air just with this guy tethered to it, just disappearing into the distance there to be a, a, a very small explosion in the sky uh, a few seconds later so yeah and uh and tethering fuel tanks in in army bases to helicopters and trying to fly away with them and things like that like right. it just gives you so many options to just just to fuck around with yeah exactly and, it, it, and like you know like you said it, it's it's kind of like just the ultimate fuck around sort of open world game really uh it gives you a lot more options than say something like um grand theft auto which you know, is often held as like the pinnacle for an open world uh kind of sandbox yeah but, but I you think actually I... don't get a lot of options unless you like get a few, except for like gun types yes 
Yes, exactly. I think Just Cause opens up that uh, a lot more than than GTA uh, or you know any any other big open world sandbox game, uh, just because of the the breadth of options that you have to to do stuff, uh, which you know does almost just comes from that one mechanic of having the tether and, yeah. and being able to, to to change the way that you move across the map, but also changing the encounters that you have. Uh, and how you're able to, um, to to do things. So yeah, yeah, really good. Really enjoying Just Cause Three. Kind of getting to the point where I've just gone to the biggest island, um, and I'm starting to wane a little bit. I think um, it might be because I finished Hellblade, so I'm not having that difference in sort of like two different gameplays. Yeah. Well, it does um, sound like not... you kind of are using it as like a, a cathartic cushion. Mm. Mm. You don't Very much. That. So so you're thinking you might not finish it? Uh, Yeah, possibly. Uh, I just... Uh, it might be more that I... Um, might be more that I roll through the... Uh, just, just the main missions. Yeah, and, just put it on um, easy. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if there is a difficulty setting for that game. I haven't got a clue. Never looked. Um, but yes, uh, essentially, just to do the just do the story missions, just to finish it, I suppose, yeah. see it through. But maybe not get all of the collectibles. Maybe not liberate all of the um, areas on the islands and stuff. I mean, um, but because it's a, a PS Plus game, it's kind of I, I suppose it's always going to be sat there. If I ever have, you know. Ten minutes to to, to play something or fuck around on here. Yeah, always, always happens. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say uh, just that um, the one thing about these open world games that are best, like best treated like a sandbox fuck about, is you're sort of it. The game is over when you are no longer having fun sandboxing. Yeah, yeah. It's not over when the plot's over because it's clearly not really the point of the game. And I think just because. Mm-hmm. Really understands that it's a fuckabout game, um, rather than you know, it's not like um, Sleeping Dogs, right? That that's a sandbox yeah. game you can fuck about in, but that's an open world sandbox, narratively driven game. Completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic as well. Really oh, enjoyed really like that game, Sleeping Dogs. Yeah, it was kind of the um, Jackie Chan kind of game that you wanted really wasn't it rather than yeah. all of the Jackie Chan games that we've previously had oh. that's uh <laughs> that is kind of exactly what you wanted big big sort of open world game with martial arts kind of taking a bit more of a a, a prominent place yeah. I suppose rather than just melee 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 actually having a, a martial arts sort of combo system within that as well great great game great game um should we move on to our next beers? Um, sure. Beers number got? two. Uh, so, I am drinking the Magic Rock Brewing Company Phantasma. 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 Why did I say it weirdly? Phantasma. Um, it is 6.5%. And it does tell me what it's got in it. Uh, oh, the malts are Golden Promise. Wheat malt. And Cara Munich, the hops are T90, Magnum, Citra, or T90, Magnum, and Citra. 
uh, with a yeast of WLP001. Uh, it does say on here that it's been registered by the Vegan Society. It's oh. got water, barley, wheat malt, hops, and yeast. So it's got wheat in there, but it's obviously not got gluten. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it might have gone through post-processing for the Some gluten. kind of distillation process to... Yeah, to, I can't to... remember. I used to know a little more about how you can pull gluten out of things. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um... So, it, uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that it's vegan branded because most mm. beer, except for the really big beers, like, like the fact that Cronenberg in the UK, the UK manufacturers figured out that they can skip a bunch of steps by using fish guts, basically. Um, which is non-standard, um, but for whatever reason, the UK version does that and the French version doesn't, so it's not vegetarian or vegan-friendly. But like overall, most beers are, as far as I know, vegan-friendly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it comes down to like the yeast cultures and things like yeah, that. It's just interesting that it's specifically branded as that, but of course there are a bunch of people who choose – actually, it's not. It's, it's, it's in fact entirely predictable because there are people who aren't celiac – but who eat gluten-free and are vegetarian or vegan. And, you know, they're just very specific about what they put in them. So it makes sense if you're going to make a beer possibly for that market to get all the badges slash yeah. that you can. Yeah, completely, completely. Uh, it's in a big 500-mil um, can. Um, yeah, the Phantasma IPA. What are you drinking? I have the... Vagabond gluten-free American Pale Ale by Brewdog mm. is 4.5%. Vagabond by name, vagabond by nature. This groundbreaking Pacific Coast Pale Ale will steal your heart and your loose change. This is a beer that bristles with attitude and optimism. The hops explode with floral notes quickly surrounding to a cornucopia of crazy caramel and finally melting into an abyss of citrus. A rapid salvo of orange, pine, and grapefruit culminates in a steely thousand-yard bitterness. This beer is full tilt, full flavor, zero gluten. Enjoyed by vagabonds, nomads, and wanderers the world over. Keep on rocking in the gluten-free world. Oh, That's a brew thing. Um, well, they must. I think they must have just sort of like one guy who they just get to write all of their absurd. Flavor so texts. Over the top. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Um, I'm just trying to look at the ingredients, but I don't really see them, which is odd. <laughs> None. No ingredients. Water. Ingredients: water, barley, yeast, hops. Okay, so another barley. Another yeah, barley beer, which makes the most sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh. I can say I think it's interesting that that Magic Rock have gone with a wheat, a wheat malt. Yeah, that is super interesting. So I think even just from the nose, there's a slight sweetness to it um, to this Phantasma. And I wonder if that is just because of that that difference between the barley and the wheat mm. and the um, from the McKellar to this. Flavor-wise, that's hmm, that's interesting. 
it's very, very subtle. It doesn't have uh, uh, the kind of the kick to it that, um, that Magic Rock beers usually do. Hmm. A little bit of a sweetness, but not very much. More on the nose than it was in the taste. Slight bitterness, but not much. But I wonder whether it's that... Was it a caramalt in there as well? A caramunic. Uh, no, caramunic. So um, I'm kind of getting a little... Toffee, maybe? Hmm. That kind of sweetness. You know, not... not really sweet but mm, I'm going to have to drink this but how, how's yours? Um, first off it is way less um, carbonated than, than the McKellar it, it produces okay. very little head even on a terrible pour attempt mm. it's also nose is it's also it's nose is also quite soft yeah. it's a little sweet um, definitely citrus almost a little caramelly like a, the smoothness of the sweetness is is, is reminiscent of that, mm. but not a lot else. Okay. Knows. So just a, a bit subdued. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's actually quite a bit going on there. Um, get, I get a hit of grapefruit. Okay. Standard. Um. Sort of a sort of big mess of flavors right off the top. Right. And then it fades fairly quickly to a bit of a light citrus. And um, uh, I think the bottle said uh, it would smack me in the face with a thousand yard, yeah, steely thousand yard bitterness. Maybe it's just that I have the McKellar IPA still in, on my palate, but I'm not getting it any strong bitterness out of it um okay which is surprising mm, mm. um yeah it definitely has um the citrus that they claim uh the caramel i found more on the nose uh and i think they mentioned yeah grapefruit like i said uh but it, it is really odd how much um how, how much of a taste exchange goes off at the very beginning? Like it's not a, a lot is happening very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Right off the top, and then it fades fairly quickly away to a very. So yeah, a little bit of a piney, mildly bitter finish. Mm. Um, but still with a with with a sort of flowery, citry, citrusy sweetness, like 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 a like a mandarin orange sweetness. Okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. But we'll um, see. Maybe by the end of it, I'll, I'll be tasting its bitterness a lot more as I climatized it on my palate. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I think the McKellar is uh, is gone from my palate. This this magic rock has kind of washed over it. But as I say, with a very kind of subtle and subdued kind of flavour, really. Um, it's 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 very very light, quite hmm. balanced. Um, maybe the the mouthfeel is is changed a little bit from the bitterness of the Macalla, but I don't think the flavour has been. But yeah, as with you, we shall we shall see towards the uh, towards the end of the beer if it's um, if it's different and the Macalla has affected it too much. Um, we're going to talk about a nice light-hearted topic this week. Lucy 
posted us a uh, a job post almost or an article about a job post from the Nottingham Post and mm-hmm. uh, the, the University of Nottingham is advertising for a position researchers are looking for a professional beer taster no experience necessary although a love of beer is of course expected and training will be provided okay and to be fair go on what this this seems like the perfect opportunity for all of us to get paid to drink Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's it's looking for, I don't know how many um, of these testers. Uh, so it, it is a limited set, so it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Um, sorry, I, I went back to the article, but because I'd been there before, it was asking me to ask an advertising question before I could read the fucking article. Yeah, I know, it just done that to me as well. Uh, um but this is this is nice. Uh, uh, the PhD student who's part of the um, Marit Nyman, um, who's part of the uh, project, said, "It might not sound like it, but becoming a trained beer taster is hard work. Beer is a complex product with lots of complex flavors, and it can sometimes take up to fifty exposures before people are able to mm. identify specific odors in beer. Luckily, we have uh, on record." 86 occasions where we've had two to three beers, so we clearly are. <laughs> we do have the experience. Yeah. Um, I, so the tasters will have to describe the specific smells, tastes, and sensations of the beers. Uh, it. What, what I found interesting, except for this weird comment about banana flavors being needing yeah. will be one of the questions, it didn't really tell us what the research is going towards um no it, it does say that um essentially tasters will have to to describe specific smells tastes and sensations of beer and the questions are essentially for the beer industry and the project is sponsored by brewing companies maltesers malt no, not Maltesers. I've read that completely Maltsters. wrong. Mal- Maltsters and hop producers um, to use the information to improve products and test new ideas. Uh, and that actually, it's uh, after a very rigorous selection process, it leads to one or two hours of paid beer tasting and training a week. So, But that will last up to three to four years. Yeah, we can't, we can't quit our jobs no to well, um to go and do this i mean right now i'm i'm not I, i'm a student i mean <laughs> yes yes very true um but it kind of it, it sort of seems like it would be the ultimate job to have within the um within the beer industry you know just being kind of a taste tester for people going around and giving your opinion on different flavors picking out kind of tastes and sensations so brewers can refine their uh their beers and and things like that you know a lot of that done it's not only like i gotta get paid to drink beer but also like you will literally you are literally a taste influencer at that point yes yes which i find very cool i I can i can push my no peach 
stance yeah, right. and, and yeah. make sure no one puts it in their beers. You, you would have the the power. I would. I would. Um, I, I I think it's just it, it's interesting that uh, I guess a lot of breweries do do this in house. You know, the, yeah. the brewer knows what they want to brew. They've got that experience to be able to taste, and and they'll they'll you know try something of a batch or, or maybe make sort of like a small batch up to try and like test out flavors and things like that um, to essentially get what they want. Uh, first of all, rather than say being influenced by someone doing some paid research, um, but I don't think there's kind of like an equivalent in the games industry as kind of like a taste tester, apart from maybe something like a, a YouTuber. But the the only thing with that is that the product has already been produced and has already been made, and you're then just giving your opinion on it and, and maybe pushing people to or, or from it and influencing after the fact almost rather than influencing before and, and yeah. finding new tastes and things. Uh, and I can't think of any kind of equivalent really in, in gaming. I think games are just such bigger enterprises as far as like creation and consumption. Mm. Mm. Um, you can't whip up a game a fully fledged game to test whether someone likes this type of mechanic or this type of mechanic really in the proper setting it's just there too there's too many other things going on yeah sure so um, i guess a lot of the um you know game design comes down to uh, one or two people a team of people who are very specifically doing that task for that game as such um you know i can't see a, a studio dedicating some people to finding out what the coolest mechanic is for that game to then tout out to kind of like other developers and things like that it might yeah. be that other developers come off come along afterwards and go oh, we really like this let's see what we can do with it and try and implement something similar into what we're doing uh whether they speak to you know the, the studio that's already done it or or not, but there's there's kind of like not one definitive person that kind of like goes around to uh, you know different studios and goes oh I think you should put this in your game oh I think you should put this in your game yeah very much so it's um I mean I'm sure there's there's consumer groups corporate research that we don't know about yeah yeah um but uh again it, i think it's it's just they're they're different beasts in the end mm, mm. yeah yeah very much and as you say uh, sort of game design is probably takes a little bit longer than um you know the the, the process of, of making a beer um, there's a little bit more investment, a little bit more money um, yeah, behind a, sort of a game rather than one batch of a beer. Yeah, I think they're just separate things. But, I mean, what would your dream position be in, in line with the idea of like being paid to taste beer and give your opinions that might influence the the world? Um, I, I, it's a hard one. 
because I'm always drawn to drawn to always drawn to environment artist. Hmm. Um, because that's the kind of stuff I enjoy doing. You know, I draw draw and create spaces for a living. I'd I'd like to do that for games, I suppose. In you know, create fictional worlds. I can design whatever kind of insane architecture I would like to. Ultimately, right. I'd like someone to pay me to do my job, but not really do my job. <laughs> do a do a more escapism free, um, <laughs> imaginative version of of your job. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but it's kind of a. I feel it's almost a bit of a cop out kind of answer um, because I, I suppose I already have some, or uh, you know, a little bit of a skill set required. Um, for that that role, um, but I always thought it would be cool to do um, like directing as well. That's that's like that would game definitely you be, mean? Uh, yeah, like game direction. Um, uh, but also um, more along the lines of um, you know, like Neil Druckmann and, and the way that like Naughty Dog do right. their kind of stuff. So you're actually directing, um, you know, people and motion capture and, and things like that, and getting a little bit more towards. Um, kind of like the film end of, of direction, I suppose. Uh, that's always been a, um, something that's really interested me, and I think that would be cool to to jump into. I wouldn't have any idea where to start. I've not trained in it. I know nothing about it. But I could do that. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I mean, we are talking <laughs> about like dream positions, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you? Um. I think probably similar with game design, um, director uh, also appeals with with the idea of I'm super into narratives, and so being able to like not only push the like the direction of the narrative, but also how it fo- unfolds and how it unfolds in an interactive environment. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the main reasons I bought into VR was that it it potentially opens up really new ways to interact with a narrative and with inter- with a world, right? Yeah. And um, and so governing that interaction point again is is pretty much the job of, of lead design and, and, and director. Um, having said that, as a logician, I'm also super into AI and like I could see like the nitty gritty like AI, you know, it, what can and can't do, and how to like balance actual smart AI with beatable and predictable AI, right? Like sure. The, if you had a completely adaptable random AI, you, you would be a shitty game mm, mm. because you, you, we are pattern recognizers, and part of games is recognizing the pattern and beating it. It's just good AI makes that pattern harder to spot or harder to deal with, even if you have spotted it, such that it feels like a challenge, but also still like trackable. Sure. Versus if it was like if you didn't, if you know, if you didn't have AI units following a patrol. That was the same loop. Once you learned the loop, you could you could predict it. That would really kind of suck, right? If, mm-hmm. if if suddenly they kept swapping which areas they patrolled on the fly, so that they were all just sort of walking around, and you couldn't really predict when someone came. That yeah, would yeah. be very difficult, but not in an enjoyable way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so this the idea of smart AI being the right kind of, or sorry, good AI in games being the right kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, 
is super interesting to me. So so it'd be probably one of those one of those two. Nice, nice. I'd never really thought of um, like programmer. I suppose you'd be, wouldn't you? Sort of testing out AI and and actually developing it and how it would work and play testing it and all of those sorts of things. So, but I mean, yeah, there's, the algor- there's the coders and algorithms and like the the lead on that. Like most of the, my IT work, I managed to skip actually doing the the work versus designing, like writing the algorithms and be like, oh, we should make it do this, and then someone else had to do the shitty code work. <laughs> I got really spoiled that way. Uh, Different ideas, man. Yeah, ideally, I would continue in that tradition and not really have to do the coding part, but be like, this is the kind <laughs> of, like, you know, know enough about the technology to be like, these are the types of, re- like, this is the type of resource we want. It needs to act this way in this sort of situation, but make sure it doesn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And mm. then just it's similar to, like, the director role where you're, like, telling people this is what needs to be done, but other people do the thing, and you just make sure it's done in a cohesive manner. <laughs> just We're going to apply well. this guy uh, um, jobs here. Why, why would I want to do the grunt work? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Fuck it, I'll just be head of uh, some big publishing house. Uh, but would that actually point, be your point at, job? Point at people and say, mm, how can you fit loot boxes into yeah, this? Come on, for that. diversify. Diversify our monetization programs. Diversity is good when, uh, in ways to charge the consumer, but not in what the consumer gets t- to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Someone has that job anyway. Which? The... Uh, Publisher, pointer, loot box, oh, inserter. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Anyway, we'll finish it there for this week. Um, out of the two beers that you had, the Vagabond from Brewdog and the McKellar, uh, I Wish Gluten-Free IPA, which did you prefer? Um, I just took a, another sip. I've not really um, gone back to it in, during this talk. Um, you can see, yeah, yeah, maybe a third of my glass, which was all of the beer. Okay, I couldn't remember if I, um, uh, yeah, it the the vagabond is. It does have a. It's I think, I've, when they say the like steely thousand year, thousand yard bitterness, mm. it's definitely a point of like. The bitterness, while not steely, uh, does last. Like the the finish is very weak, but it yeah. stays at that same level of weakness for quite a long time. Okay, okay, so it does it does stick around. Yeah, so it's a long finish, but it it doesn't really it's not an in your face one. Okay, um, and so uh, there's that. But other than that, it's pretty unremarkable. I I think that there are some interesting uh, flavors going on, like like their description, which mentioned. Like it taste dropped like seven things, yeah, uh, and they all might be there, but most of them are there in the first like half second, second and a half, um, and kind of a <laughs> mishmash, and then it's it's sort of smooth, tepid sailings. Uh, a shame, I think, because it's the most easily available out of the three beers that we've we've Fully, had. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, normally available almost in every supermarket. I mean, having said that, it's not a like. A, terrible american pale ale it's just and i guess uh and as far as the one thing i will say is you don't really taste the barley as much Mm, mm. so it could easily just be a a sort of 
smooth, unremarkable version of a craft American pale ale. Yeah. Where I say craft in the sense of that, I don't know anymore. I really don't know anymore. I said the word, sorry, flog me later. Oh, um, so it's cho- fine. So my choice is the I wish, uh, McKellar. Um, nice. Even, even though you can taste the barley in a way that's sort of, I actually kind of like it because it's still a good IPA and it has this different taste I'm not used to. Mm. It's not like it's, it's not like it's trying to compensate around the barley, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It just sort of, it really helped imbued that in, in the taste profile. Well, I feel like the, the, yeah, like I said, the Vagabond, I don't know what is causing the mishmash, but there's just a bunch of flavors really close together all at once in a way that doesn't really feel as coherent as it could be and then they're gone they like they don't last long enough for your your taste buds for you to like kind of decode them yourself given that they're kind of presented mishmash wise Mm, mm. yeah fair enough um yeah i really like the mckellar that's a good beer it is a good beer um but i would seek it out if i saw it i would still have it yeah despite it's not like oh I can't handle gluten. This is the like a, this is the beer that works. It's like oh, I would easily have this again, regardless of the fact that it's gluten free or not. Like I don't think it's um, I think it's a good beer that happens to be gluten free. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I think that I'm going to go with the Phantasma. Um, the 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 McKellar was definitely um, clouding the flavor a little. Uh, I, I wonder whether it was that bitterness that, that, that just pulled away from it. But the more I drink this, um, the more I'm getting. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's still very subtle, still a very subtle flavor. But you do get those sort of like tropical kind of uh, flavors. But, um, I think that's where the sweetness is coming from as well. Sort of more towards like the sweeter and maybe a bit of mango perhaps. Um, mm. you know, it's sort of that kind of end of the, the, the tropical fruit spectrum. Um, there might be some grapefruit in there. There probably is, uh, you know, grapefruit sort of shines through from the, the hops used in a lot of beers these days. Um, but a little bit of orange maybe. So I'll have another swig just to be sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a little bit of orange in there as well. And kind of. That is the sweetness that's coming through. Uh, the McCullough was changing that taste profile quite profoundly, um, hmm. sort of in the first couple of sips. But I'd sort of, you know, I'd almost drained my glass thinking, oh, I'm really enjoying this, to, to remember that um, it's a 500ml can. So actually, I'd only put half of the can into my glass, and that made me very happy. So it's it's definitely the standout this week for me. The, the McCullough is a great beer, very good. But the Phantasma is the one I want to have another of right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Tell us if you drink gluten-free beer. There's not that many examples of it out there. There's a lot more. So um, one of my uh, best friends from from um, undergrad days... She's actually celiac, and okay. she didn't find out until a, a, a while after I met her. And so, um, and we traveled through Honduras, and she just was like, 
I'm going to deal with kind of shitty stomach and really terrible acne as a result because I can't handle, like, I'm just in Central America. I can't try and be gluten-free. Yeah, so we, we had yeah. a fair few beers on, on, on our trip. Um, but, uh, the, um, but like that was 2008, I think, okay. no, maybe 2010, 2010. And, and then there were like one or two you could find at, at the fancy bottle shop in, um, in, in, you know, some of the fancier ones in, in, in Calgary. And now in the bottle shops here in Bristol, uh, you know, at least like there's at least four or five. Uh, yeah, I've seen. Yeah. I mean, the Vagabond's a good example of one that you can get in a fucking Tesco's. I think actually, I haven't seen it in the Tesco's yet. Um, but I've definitely seen it in sort of not fancy bottle shops. And last time I was in a liquor store in Calgary, I definitely saw two or three. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think it's 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 doable. Mm. A mm. lot more than it used to be. Pfft, nope. Or yeah, paid three times as much at this one store. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still it, not it, easy, and I guess I mean it really depends on if you have a I guess a fancier beer place around you is probably the the end. You're definitely not going to find these things on tap is the big thing. Yeah, I, completely, completely, unless it's a very specific kind of uh, you know restaurant or bar, um, you know that that try and cater to as many people as possible. Um, yeah, I suppose they are. It's quite a specific thing to want from a from a beer, um, and yeah, like you say, it's there's maybe four or five when you go into the bottle shop to to be able to choose from. So it's definitely an expanding range, I guess. Yeah, uh, and and maybe more people are sort of looking to um, to brew beers like this and get into it. But it's still, it's I think it's even more niche than we are. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh- yeah, so we've we've just done quite possibly the nichest episode oh, yeah. of a podcast ever made. Have all of the downloads. <laughs> I'm expecting at least one thousand downloads well, in the first ab- uh, two dates. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, if we tweet it out the right way, we like at celiac and at gluten free yeah. friends. Um, <laughs> We, we might we might actually get there. Uh, nice. We, we may. Speaking speaking of plugs, um, you can get us on Twitter at tankedup underscore cast. You can email at ta- email us at tankedupcast at gmail dot com. I'm at nova underscore forty seven on Twitter. Nova underscore forty seven on PlayStation and Steam. Adel, if people want to get hold of you or play games with you, how do they do that? Uh, they can reach me at the Omniarch on. Twitter, Instagram, Steam, PlayStation Network, Xbox One, ay ay Xbox Live, whatever it's called. Not not um, Switch. Hmm. Not Switch. Well, no, I'm not the only on Switch. I'm I'm contact me on any of those other things, and I will tell you my Switch code because I did take a I did take a picture of it on my phone, so that would actually be an accessible piece of information. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's all the things. Uh, oh, uh, visit our Facebook fa- page or the Facebook page of the Out of Lives Network, who we are affiliated with and housed upon. Yes, yes. Go to outoflives.net to listen to us, listen to the other podcasts that we do, read some articles that occasionally go up. 
on the website every now and again. Um, Which one came up just today as we recorded? It did. It did. Um, Ross Falconer uh, had a chat about Conan Exiles. Which is a free trial right now, including the expansion on Xbox Live for gold members. Nice. Nice. That's cool. Awesome. Uh, So, for another week, we have been tanked up. Take it easy. Ciao. Bye. Oh, now suddenly you get the last word and the first word? Oh, yes. I never thought about that. Ah, dick. Yes. I'm going to stare at you while tasting <laughs> a steely thousand-yard bitterness. Dick, give me your, steely, your bitter steely thousand-yard stare. Yeah. Oh, dear. I was um, going to talk Sonic Mania, but I, I forgot that I was going to do that when I started into a topic. So I was like, meh. We'll do that next week.